This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is my friend, Gavi Friedson. Now, he's been working with an organization called United Hatzalah of Israel for a while now. And what they do is put medics on motorbikes so they can weave through traffic, go down sidewalks, get to the emergencies a lot faster than you would be able to if you were on an ambulance. And these motorbikes are set up with a lot of that same life-saving equipment. So always have a great time talking with him. Uh, you can follow United Hatzalah of Israel, and that is United, H-A-T-Z-A-L-A-H of Israel. And you can go to israelrescue.org uh, and they have you can sponsor a day of life-saving the way that their model is set up. It's, it's amazing. So uh, check it out. It makes too much sense. And now, without further ado, Gavi Friedson. All right, here we are. Awesome. Back at Six Hour. Awesome. Uh, Gavi, what's up, man? Great. Good to be here. I know. This is crazy. Did a little tour of SIG today. Walked the factory floor. Saw like Terminator type uh, Cyberdyne systems stuff that can become self-aware at any time. Incredible facility. Isn't that crazy? Amazing people. Yeah. So many veterans. It's awesome. It's awesome. This is a great spot. And then you got to sit down with Ron Cohen for a little bit and uh, and talk to him about his his background and the uh, the Israeli Army, which is uh, you know connected to to yours. What a guy. What a guy. I mean, he's left me so inspired and I think um, I'm going to have to definitely uh, invest in... Uh, oh, yeah. We'll probably hook something up, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, but yeah, he's an amazing guy. I keep I want him to write a book one day. With he about should. His, uh, yeah. I mean, what a great a story. CEO and to the changes yeah. throughout the company to mm-hmm. just learn from him. Yep. No, absolutely. Well. Everything he did in the Israeli army and that's amazing stuff he was talking about, about, uh, about Lebanon and then uh, getting out and then where he is today and what he's done with this company. He's just such an amazing amazing guy so inspiring but uh all right let's talk about you yeah yeah all so right. you were born here born in florida yeah fort lauderdale okay um until the age of nine and a half ten years old then i moved to israel uh, with my family and my parents run a news agency out in israel called the media line and okay. um, they've been focusing on the middle east for over two decades wow and uh, it just made sense to move over there and be able to cover those issues from being on the ground physically. Got it. Uh, And it's just a great country to really grow up in. Yeah. And being, you know, 10 years old and this young American child living in the Middle East in Israel, I really needed something that would really kind of, um, you know, I guess connect me to the society in Israel. Yeah. And had you been back there before? Was it, was it like, Hey, 10 years old, we're going to Israel. Or had you been there? Like, no, I I would ask my parents actually, that would be like probably, uh, I don't think there's that many kids that got to travel so often to Israel. Okay, so and you've even been there in my before. ten years in Israel, I must have gone at least six or seven times. Okay, so okay. yeah, I, I was there. But you I was pick familiar. up for good. Like here, you're ten years old. We're moving. We're, we're selling moving. a house. We're going. Got rid of and, the dog. Oh that was no! That, yeah, <laughs> That's a beautiful sad. American Eskimo, and I'll forever miss her. Oh but, my goodness! But you get yeah. there, and then all of a sudden you're in new school system, and you new already were speaking system. Hebrew in the no, home. No, no, it took me about almost two and a half years to pick it up. Fluently. Oh no way! So now I speak Hebrew fluently, but that yeah. took about two years. Oh no, kidding. Um, yeah, it's not so simple, but it is easier when you're a child to yeah. learn any language. Yeah, and then what? So you get there, and you jump into like. Fifth grade? Do they call it fifth grade? Yeah, there? fifth grade. Okay, so they, and they call it fifth grade yeah, fifth over grade, there. Exactly. And you're in, and everything's in Hebrew right everything's away. Everything's in Hebrew. So you're just like, 
learning. There's no one oh, telling. Oh, the first year was terrible. I think I tried to like run away from class like the entire first year. So it was just either really boring because I didn't understand anything. Yeah. Um, and also that first school I was in was just terrible. Just, yeah. I hated, I hated the kids. Like, <laughs> the kids hated me. It was just yeah. not a good, good situation. You're the new guy. The new the guy. FNG. What, uh, and what was going on in Israel at the time when you got there uh, politically and as far as uh, um, you know, military, what, what was happening at the time when you moved there? Um, I'd say the exact same thing that was happening 30 years before that and the same thing's happening today. Uh, And that's what's always really fascinating is you open up a uh, a newspaper and you look at the headlines from 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It always looks like it's the same conflict. It could have just just changed the date and you'd think, oh, it's 1983. Exactly. Or something like that. And and that's what was so, I think, um, amazing about this past administration is for the first time there were actual real concrete peace deals, which is a whole other topic. But the fact is that there were actually accomplishments yeah. made in that region that forever you'd see the U.S. administrations trying to work towards achieving, and they never did. Yeah, but, but how finally, little press did that get? None. It's insane. None. It and there's many people insane. who don't even know that still. Even I know. Happened. It's just it's baffling. But I mean, I understand why, but yeah. uh, but it's still it's disappointing and disheartening to me that that's the case. But um, so you get there, you're ten, you go through junior high, yeah, you go through high school. And then you go in the military right away? Is military, there like a, two weeks after high school. Two I, weeks after. And is that the mandatory? Mandatory draft, three years for male, two years for female. Um, they actually cut it back recently. So it's about two and a half for male and two years for female, unless yeah. you're in special units. And obviously, you can sign on longer. If you're a pilot, it's longer mm-hmm. as well. Um, but what's amazing about Israel is that you're mandatory volunteering. Um, that country just mandatory. thrives <laughs> on... It's not mandatory, but uh, I guess... Uh, oh, it's not mandatory. It's not, it's not mandatory, but it's funny because like, so in high school, I thought you, it was. you have to volunteer um, in order to pass like extracurricular things. There are things you have to sign up to do. You don't necessarily have to be a medic like I chose. And in high school, you chose you This is in this. high school, yeah. Wow. So 15. Wow. Um, so there's twice a week you have to volunteer, whether it's with a soup kitchen or with a homeless shelter wow. um, or becoming a medic, which is the route I chose. Um, and that's what you do in ninth grade, 10th grade. Um and everybody's doing that. You get your choices yep. and you choose. What's the the least military type of training you can choose? Like you chose to be a medic. Someone can choose a soup kitchen type yeah, thing. Yeah, you can choose so a soup a whole kitchen. Bunch of different stuff you can, you can choose anything from even volunteering probably at a library. Nice. I like um, that. Right? Hey, you would love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm all about that. That's amazing. <laughs> but I was an adrenaline junkie. I needed something a little bit more. And I also thought just like being able to like treat society um, would connect me more to just, you know, living in Israel and become more Israeli, you mm-hmm. know, from this young American child at the time. Did also, people always know you were American? Like at some point, to, like if you meet new people, if you oh, meet yeah. people at age oh, like 17, did they already know that it's yeah. a Florida kid? I just look it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I also just growing up at that time, we were during the second intifada uh-huh. and buses were blowing up, cafes were blowing up, suicide bombers. Um, it almost became like a weekly occurrence at the time. And I think that's also something that really inspired me to really want to get involved in the medic, uh, um, you know, volunteering on the back of an ambulance is because of hearing all these bomb attacks that were yeah. going off and hearing the sirens and seeing the medics, you know, run in and really risk their lives. And that really did inspire me um, because towards the end of the second intifada is right when I had started volunteering and I was 
responding to many terrorist attacks. Wasn't it like um, your first day on the job, kind of yeah. like that? What happened that first that first day? So yeah, is it so? This is already after high school now. So you do some training while yeah, you're still in, in still in high you're school, still in. still in high school, riding on the back of the ambulance and going Amazing. to emergencies. And at this time, even like if you're in the back of the ambulance and you're 15, you're not 18, you're not even allowed to leave the ambulance. So there were many terrorist attacks that our ambulance went to that I was never allowed to technically leave the ambulance, and they would just bring the um the patients to us wow. and you know and you never know what you're getting i mean and then obviously after 18 i was at many terrorist attacks where you get to actually physically be inside you know the blown up cafe or the blown up bus and oh. you actually smell and, and and the smell is probably one of the worst parts you can be at as you know that the smell of burnt flesh is something that will stick with you for a very long time mm-hmm. um and then just I think the chaos and understanding just the entire um, what goes into the emergency response technique and that entire method of, you know, getting the ambulance there and then making sure that there's an evacuation plan. So many times we get to the scene and you get stuck because the ambulances park behind each other and then the, you run out with your stretcher. Mm-hmm. And then if this ambulance is blocked, then you, you've just basically stopped and clogged up the entire evacuation route. Yeah. And what's amazing about Israel is that, you know, from the time of, of a terrorist attack or let's say, a, for example, a bus bombing or from the from the second that happens until the last patient is at the hospital is usually with under a half hour. Wow. Which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, in, in the emergency medical world, there's something called the golden hour. Mm-hmm. And you've got a certain amount of time from the person's injury to get them to the OR, to the operating room. And in Israel, they always manage to just get there within the first 30 minutes. Um, Usually, it's also because of the proximity of where the hospitals are. There's four major hospitals in Jerusalem, um, depending on where it is. But we just, we, because of our experience yeah. of just having to deal with so many of them, I think we were able to really kind of just get so good at it at that first uh, first response model. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I started volunteering on the back of the ambulance and the fire department. Oh wow! Uh, later, with the police department until two weeks after high school. The military army. draft, yeah. Okay. So I served in an infantry unit, and then as a spokesperson. Are you still a medic at this point? Or are they yeah, like still you, a medic? Okay. Still a medic. Um, I you go to do a boot camp thing. How does yeah, that work? So, so it was about eight months of there's basic training, advanced training, and then you're deployed, um, and then you're off. You know, but the the amazing part about Israel is not it's not like the U.S. military where you're sent off for like six months. I mean, the Israeli military you come home every three weeks. You're there. You're already on the front. And line. And you're also you're on the front line. I mean, I always my brother who's still serving as a um, tank commander and he's been in reserve duty for many years. I remember during 2014 in Protective Edge, one of the operations there, uh, going to visit him on the border. And think about it. He's literally deployed or in the middle of a war. He's on the border. And I literally just get in a car and I drive 35 minutes and I see my brother in his tank on That's the border wild. defending us. It's not like you have to go get an airplane, go to 12 right. hours. Go to- it's a 35 minute <laughs> drive. And he's literally all with the black camouflage on his face. I even brought my, my uh, we just brought him like a care package, you know, yeah. some extra toothbrush, some <laughs> toothpaste. And like he's been out, he's been, you know, serving there for about a couple of weeks just because, you know, everyone's called up at this point, yeah. especially in a state of war at the time. And, um, you know, a 35 minute drive and he's on the front line Yeah, and that's something else, even for the infantry soldiers, it's not like, you know, and then. Yeah. Their family's right there. It's not like me in Iraq or Afghanistan where there's an ocean (laughs) continent. Exactly. It is right there. 
it's which amazing. for us as you know being on those it, it does add to the enthusiasm to the you know if you ever for for a split second ask or question yourself why are you here what are you doing all you got to do like is my just family's 30 minutes that way just turn your head turn yeah. your head and you're looking at the lights of the country you're protecting yeah um and and i can't even imagine in, in the situations you've been where you're so far away from america of where even if those questions did come up, like, what am I doing here? Right. right. <laughs> After 20 years. You know, uh, and it's just like, you turn your head around and you're looking, wow, like I'm literally protecting yeah. this and it makes sense and that's exactly, and, and then I think it'll always, you know, be that case. Yeah, in Israel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean. And what, when, so you did your, you're now you're in the army and in the now army, you're a medic, you graduate boot camp and then you get assigned to, to a unit that then forward deploys 30 minutes to a, to like, so you're protected. Depends. Every few months they switch off depending what region, different infantry units do different things. So okay. you could be up north on the Lebanon Syrian border. You could be down south near Elat, which is near Egypt. Mm -hmm. You can be deployed in the West Bank. You can have different refugee camps. You could be doing house arrests at night and helping the Mossad or Shabak doing intel or, and getting, you know, different. There's, now there's so much different sciences to everything because different ah. refugee camps mean different things. So some ah. refugee camps are known to really breed the suicide bomber and they kind of really just teach them wow. um, more about brain. I wouldn't say teach. I say brainwashing them mm -hmm. to become suicide bombers and die for Shahid and die. And that's the whole point. And then you have another uh, camp that would be all about, you know, teaching them to be um, suicide uh, technician. Uh, it's not suicide technicians, uh, bomb technicians where they would explosives and if they yeah. know how to make the bomb. But if, you know, a person then comes from the the brainwashed camp who's yeah. ready to die and be a suicide bomber and meets up with the person who invented the bomb and actually has the device. You never want those two people to connect because yeah. that's just a bad recipe. Um, so there's a lot of the times where a lot of these units would go in and do house arrests and try to just get more intel. And everyone's got a cousin of a cousin who knows something. And that's where the security and the intelligence is just incredible in Israel yeah. I and mean, what they're able to track down and, you know, and find out ahead of the time is, is just amazing. Yeah, so I gotta incorporate it into these next couple of novels. That's why we gotta we gotta go together and do some on the uh, on boots wait, on the ground wait, research. I can't wait to show you around. I'm there. fired up, man. I'm fired up. Yeah. Uh, and so you did. How many years did you spend then? So I was the three army? years in the military, okay. but even through my military service, I still volunteered every time I came home. My parents thought I were crazy. You know, when a soldier comes home, he wants to just sleep and yeah. eat. And when I had to come home, the first thing I wanted to do was go back to volunteering and back to just being a medic because I loved it. I, okay. I, just, I really, really did. Um, and so even throughout my medical service, so I started volunteering on the back of the ambulance, mm -hmm. but what was great, there's an organization in Israel, which is what I work for now called United Hatzalah. And Hatzalah is the Hebrew word for rescue. Okay. And they came up with the concept of understanding that ambulances, um, are a great concept for transportation, mm -hmm. but they're not great for actually saving people's lives. You just arrive too late. Yeah. I mean, you look at the traffic in a lot of these countries and um, it could take anywhere between 15 and 20 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. Uh -huh. So our CEO, our founder of the company, realized that he was a, a volunteer in the back of the ambulance. It was very frustrating to get an emergency, get a call, get in the ambulance, respond to the call, and just get there too late. You're stuck in traffic. You're stuck in traffic. And he realized if you're able to deliver pizza, you know, on a motorcycle, why can't we do that? Mm -hmm. Why can't we? And that's what, exactly what he did is kind nice. of came up with the concept of a motorcycle ambulance. Yeah. And I became one of the youngest uh, ambucycles, what we call an ambucycle, nice. uh, the youngest motorcycle ambulance medics. And I started responding to thousands of emergencies on the back of this because we're able to maneuver and swerve in between traffic. And, and you already out? You're like forward deployed on this anyway, just doing things? This or is are you your, like yeah. 
<laughs> everywhere with you. Yeah. This this is our mode of transportation. This, I go to the supermarket. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the so supermarket. You're there. So you're not like, oh, hold on, I have to run back to my base or the you know the firehouse or the hospital or you know whatever it is, a clinic, and get my get in the ambulance or get on this thing. You're already there. I'm already it, there. Explosion happens over here. You're three blocks away. Exactly. You're getting a pizza over here. All of a sudden, you're there in 30 seconds. And that's why our first response uh, model has is just literally breaking barriers and, and so innovative and really is just a game changer because we now have a network of 6,000 plus volunteers, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, all walks of life who are trained medics, paramedics, doctors, nurses, whoever wants to volunteer can. And we take the entire map of Israel from north to south and we create a system in which we have signed medics to each neighborhood, each region. It's almost like Uber, mm-hmm. but we're the Uber of EMS. Amazing. And the second you call 911, our system finds the five closest medics, just like it would find the five closest vehicles. We're finding the five closest medics. You're still getting that call to 911, uh-huh. but you're going to have a paramedic or an EMT arrive at the scene within 90 seconds. So they're already they're getting an alert on their phone? Alert on their what? phone, and our response time is 90 seconds, and in, in most cases, three minutes or less. So it's the fastest response time in the world. We're responding and we don't charge for any of our services. It's completely free. Um, And we're able to really get there. So by the time ambulance arrives 12, 15 minutes later, the patient's already stabilized. So it's it's brilliant. That's amazing. I mean, and what's, so I've seen pictures of these things, of course. Yeah. Uh, where can people go to look at, find that picture? Is there like, there's Instagram, the website. Yeah. And what's, what's it called? Israelrescue.org. Israelrescue.org. Yeah. And like right on the homepage, I think there's this one of these, these motorcycle, moped thing yep. on there. It looks awesome. Uh, it's like they took an ambulance and shrunk it. You yeah. Know? It's really cool. So what's on that thing? Is the, uh, the AED thing on AED, there? AED, yeah. So we've got the defibrillator. Um, my favorite's a birth kit because one of my first, I've actually delivered nine babies. Whoa. And one of the first was my math teacher. That's right. Uh, that. Yeah. Crazy. So that's insane. Of all the terrorist attacks, my nightmares come from her. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. But uh, uh, everything except the stretcher. So from mm-hmm. oxygen tanks, um, you know, glucose meters, uh, BLS for basic life support, ALS mm-hmm. for advanced life support. So if we have a paramedic, we'll modify his ambu cycle and make sure that he has everything that we need. So you can have some meds on there. Um, meds as well, it. yeah. So basically, it's everything but the stretcher. And again, we don't specialize in transportation. I mean, we do. We do have several ambulances, and we're actually now, COVID um, has actually mm-hmm. turned our entire organization to frontline essential workers. We actually have 6,000 medics now helping in Israel wow. with the vaccinations and transporting elderly people uh, to and from these different quarantine hotels with the government that needed extra assistance. Um, and Israel happens to be the leading country in the world with the vaccinations, with 75% already vaccinated. Oh, wow. That's so, incredible. But all of our volunteers have to respond to each call also and wearing the PPE and making sure that they're fully uh-huh. protected and taking into account that any person could potentially have COVID. So it's also, you know, this entire pandemic has brought a lot of extra strains mm-hmm. just from in every day. Any, I guess any healthcare organization, I mean, you can go to any hospital and see what they're going yeah. through right now uh, with just in the lines of COVID. But yeah, right. in general, our response time is, you know, three minutes or less and you have a medic on scene. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And then in the business model is fundraising, so yeah. that it's not uh, you're not paying for this. We don't this make service. any money from the government, um, and I mean, hopefully that'll change. But of course, at the moment, it's all fully fundraising. It's just really just people who want to make a difference and who want to help out, and and it really is saving lives. I mean, we've treated almost three million people since that's we've started. Um, is there are you bringing that model here to the to the U.S. Then we're trying, we're trying. We started in Jersey City. And there's other cities. Here's a little bit more complicated because of the unions. Um, uh-huh. And it's so interesting. Every time I meet with them, you know, I've, I've 
gone to several firehouses where I've always asked the firefighters, I'm like, if you know, if you're off duty right now and you're at home and your neighbor was choking, would you, would you get off the couch and go help her? And if you knew you were the difference between 15 minutes of your local ambulance arriving or if you could start the CPR and the chest compressions, I've yet to meet one firefighter that said, no, I wouldn't right. get off the couch to assist. Yet, when you speak to a lot of these people in the unions, oh, no, we don't want volunteers because they, they look at like volunteers are taking their money. Interesting. And we're not, like in our organization, at least we don't take it. Like ambulance service will still charge the patient or the healthcare provider like they or the insurance company. They'll yeah. make their money. It's we're strictly about just filling that gap until the ambulance arrives. Yeah. So that we can make the difference. We can right. start the chest compression. We can stop the bleeding. We can deliver the baby. We could do whatever it is that we need to do. Yeah. Because a 15 minutes is just too 15 minutes too long. Like in most cases, you wait until 15 minutes for a person having a heart attack and you start CPR after that. What's the point? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're we're just trying to get there in those first three minutes. That's really just our 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 model is to be first, fast, and efficient. Amazing. And so in the United States, it's just in its base, but just in Jersey City. So we're in Jersey kinda... City. And we have others. You know, we had uh, last year, we had uh, a team of medics come from Australia to train with us oh, nice. on mass casualties. Yeah. We've had different, um, the deputy prime minister to India came and stopped. And he, he loved the idea. Like yeah. a place like India, India with mopeds perfect, and, yeah. and, and having, you know, uh, motorcycles, first responders, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. So they love the idea. So there's a lot of other countries internationally that are really trying to adopt this model. Yeah. And we're happy to share with everybody. Um, yeah, our founder always jokes, like, his, you know, technically he created Uber, you know, he created, yeah. um, and he could have been a billionaire somewhere. <laughs> but his focus is always, ha always has and always will be just saving lives. Yeah. Amazing. Have you, did you see in Israel where medical personnel were actively targeted by uh, any terrorist organizations over there just because you could respond so all quickly? All the time. All the time. There's, there, and I think that is one of, the, um, one of the scariest things with being a medic is when you go to a terrorist attack is you get there so fast that sometimes, especially at least with our organization, we're there so fast. We're there before the police even arrive. Mm -hmm. Now in Israel, a lot of our medics carry guns. Um, I like it. And yeah, I mean, I approve. We're we're all we're all carrying, um, and they've made it easier because of how fast we get there. That we're actually essential, and they've made it a little bit easier with the whole bureaucracy of who can have a gun, and who can't, huh. knowing and, and understanding that like we are first responders and we're there within ninety seconds. And sometimes when we're there, there's still live fire going on or an active shooting situation. So. And again, our, our medics come as medics. They're not there to be police. They're not mm -hmm. there to stop the threat, obviously, unless it's, you know, there's no choice and you're able to make the difference. Right. They will. But, um, yeah, I mean, our, our medics have gone several times where they get to a scene and a few minutes later, there'll be another device that is found. I've been to a terrorist attack where while we're in the middle of evacuating uh, many injured the police or the bomb squad will start yelling, clear the scene, clear the scene. I don't even care if there's any patients left in the field. Get off, you know, get out, get out, get out. Mm -hmm. There was another terrorist attack I went to in Jerusalem after uh, a person, he drove through an intersection with several soldiers walking through the intersection near the old city. I was one of the first people to see it. I even called it in on my radio. And there was a woman, as they shot, one of the soldiers, one of the officers actually ended up shooting him. Shot the, shot the terrorist. He then lost control and drove and pinned a soldier against the wall. Oh. So I was actually helping with the evacuation and treating of, of the woman who was pinned against the wall. And as I'm standing on the hood trying to actually treat this lady, um, 
the bomb squads were already coming in and trying to figure it out. And they and, he, and he, we could tell he, I mean, he was dead, but they didn't know for sure. Then they thought their dog sniffed something that, that there mm-hmm. must've been like either a booby trap or he was wearing a vest or something. Maybe there's an explosive thing under the hood. Mm-hmm. And, they were like screaming at us, leave the woman and everybody leave, everybody leave, get off the hood, the car could explode. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of put in this dilemma, like, okay, yeah. I have a woman here that's bleeding out. She's pinned against the wall. Um, do you get off the hood and just let the pull it? But that could take another 25, 30 minutes if that, that's the case and she'll definitely die. Yeah. Um, or you just, and in your mind, you're just like, I just need one more minute, just yeah. one more minute, you know, right. just one more minute, even though that minute feels like eternity. Yeah. Uh, one more minute. And um, we did, we didn't leave her and we just, I mean, afterwards, of course, there was a debriefing and they were very upset. And the, po- <laughs> the police, like, how can you do it? Yeah. You weren't listening and, you know, to the rules. And right. uh, when the police say get off, you get off. You're safe. And it's true. Your safety is more. That's the number one thing you learn in any, whether mm. it's, you know, med school or even just becoming a medic. Yeah. Don't even become in the another military. casualty. Don't become another casualty. Don't be, exactly. Don't make things worse. And yeah. safety. Safety is always the most important rule. But sometimes, you know, when you're in it, yeah, yeah. as you know, the playbook right. kind of goes to hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, most every time. Uh, yeah. And the adrenaline and and what's right and wrong. It's, just, it's easy to, to train as much as you can. But I think mm. when you're actually in a specific situation, um, you just... You just you just act. You just yeah. do what you got to do. How prevalent are those attacks? Do they come in like in like waves based on uh, you know politics or retribution for something that's that's happened either uh, politically or militarily? Um, or you go through like a month of attacks and then it kind of subsides for a couple of weeks, or is it just like random one and then you never know? It and depends. Then, boom, it just or it's an you get all of it. Great question. So like it really depends. Like just like the operations with uh, Castlet or Protective Edge, and when we have the rockets coming in from Gaza. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, at some point the government decides enough is enough. I mean, can you imagine just one rocket coming in from Mexico yeah. to Florida? Crazy. I don't think Mexico would even be in existence, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, yeah. Like, so we've become so immune to just having rockets fall in Israel left and right where people are like, oh, just another rocket. Okay, let's go back and get a milkshake. <laughs> like you've become so yeah, desensitized to the sense that rockets are falling. Yeah. And I think it depends. At some point, it just is enough is enough. It again, of course, depends on the political atmosphere at the time. Um, we also have to deal with not just only the threat of Hezbollah in the north, which has 100,000 rockets pointed at Israel at any given time. Amazing. And at some point between them and Iran, there will be some sort of war. I mean, everyone's preparing for that. Um, then you have in Gaza with the tunnels underneath, you know, where they're fighting like cockroaches, literally, wow. like trying to come and kidnap people from underneath. Yeah. And then you have the West Bank and you have Israeli Arabs who sometimes are just, you know, radicalized through social media, hmm. who are lone wolf attacks, who decide hmm. to one day pick up a kitchen knife or go off and, you know, die because they think that, you know, they, they hate Jews and they need to uh, hmm. die for their cause. Yeah. So two years ago, there was... It picked up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for sure, there was so many different attacks or several stabbings in like one month. There must have been like, but then then the next month will be nothing because yeah. then security forces and the army will step up its game and start really kind of closing in and doing more um, uh, night searches at night mm-hmm. and really kind of get more intel. Okay. Um, so it really depends. Yeah. And it's funny, even with all that, and people who've never been to Israel always think it's like probably like some war zone, but it's not. It's really yeah. probably one of the safest places in the world. I love being there. I love walking around there at 2, 3 a.m. I have no problem. It's probably, I feel the safest. Yeah. Um, there, it really is not dangerous. Oh, I can't wait to go. Um, I can't wait to yeah, show you around and, awesome. and you'll probably never want to leave. That's the thing. I know, right? I might, especially with what's going on in this country, I might just stay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Pick up the language. Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and it just depends. The Middle East is changing. That's something else. Like, I mean, I think what the Trump administration did bring was something that it will, in years from now, we will be able to really look back and be like, damn, I can't believe they did that. Yeah. Um, of course, haters are always going to hate. So you've got this new administration coming in. And I think personally, instead of them trying to focus on some of the things that were just done, that were accomplished and trying to work off of that and move forward yeah. to something that they just are so anti-Trump and anti-anything he yeah. did. So even if it was successful, let's yeah. just tear it up and go back yeah. to what didn't work. They should just take credit for it, you know, and then yes. let it continue to go forward and, and uh, uh, instead of trying to destroy everything that was good that was done just because of someone's name. Exactly. And, oh, I, and it'll man. be interesting. Yes, again, technology. I mean, as we're here sitting at SIG, we're seeing the new technology of the oh. new machine guns and the new guns and the new F-35s that Israel has and the F-35s that the UAE wants. And oh, wow. you're just seeing, I think, uh, a change in technology, a change in times. Mm -hmm. It'll be very interesting to see where the world leads, especially the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and I really hope they understand that Iran is a huge problem. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to get you this uh, this fourth novel, Devil's Hand. I can't wait to get it in your hands uh, because it has <laughs> this uh, this Iranian tie-in. So hopefully, I got hopefully I got it right uh, with, uh, with some of my analysis, just going back through through history and incorporating that into the storyline but uh you know what you're describing um what you just described being out there on the uh the, the motorcycles the the, the ambicycle cycles being out there on that like that would be an amazing show it, one a reality show two a drama like <laughs> that'd be an amazing uh series for uh for a netflix or an amazon or something like that focused on a, on that group out there responding like i think that's a, there's something there there is there, and you know what? Also, just the diversity—the fact that we have Jews and Christians and Muslims working together—that's pretty cool. That's a cool story. You know, responding to terrorist attacks where I'm treating people with my fellow Muslim medic. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, what a great story. You know, that's an incredible, and that I don't think anybody really knows is going on over there, working together to self help save lives. That's incredible. Yeah, we put politics aside, and we we have and. The people that want to volunteer are good people. Yeah. And and that's what sucks in all these cases that there's always that small group of people that are just like a cancer who ruin it for the rest, you know, for the, for everyone else. And that's what's sad. Same thing in Gaza. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a lot of good people, but then you've got it's controlled by Hamas, who are a terrorist organization who ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. And they hide behind kids and hide in the mosques and hide in the kindergartens and have no problem, you know putting and sacrificing their own innocent to protect them and they ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that, uh, well, one Israel that you have that program where everybody's going to choose something to serve, whether that's the soup kitchen, whether it's being a medic, uh, no matter what that, that is. I mean, it makes you such a, I think it makes for a stronger country because you have uh, a foundation from which to move forward that you have in common with somebody else. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you both did this. You both, you know, one of you might have been in the soup kitchen, one of you might have been a medic, but you know what? After high school, we all did this. Kind of like, I have something in common with everybody that's ever been a SEAL, whether they went through in 1965, 1978, 1983, whatever it is. We all went through Hell Week. We all went through BUDS. And so I have that in common with that person already, even if I don't know, I've never met them before. And so you guys have that as a country, which is amazing. 
which makes it you so much stronger. And that's why the mandatory military service. Yeah. I wish they had something similar here. I mean, not necessarily has to be military, but maybe, you know, just six yeah. months volunteering before they go off to college, just something. Sure. Because that mandatory military service in Israel bonds the entire country. Exactly. Together. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, on, no on levels that that carry out a lifetime. And that's why a lot of people who move there are always bummed if they didn't do the army because yeah. they will always kind of miss out on some sort of connection that the military offers. Yeah. Now it's true. Sometimes you're in a, you could be in a unit and just be so depressed for those three years yeah. because you're with shitty people yeah, or, you know, and that happens. It's called life. That is, that's life. Yeah. But only later on in life do you really understand how much of an influence those army days do. Oh, yeah. Um, until today, you know, I'm st- I, I love doing the dishes because of all that kitchen duty. I, I know do, we were know. talking about that. She's yeah. not supposed to talk about that. My wife will be upset. <laughs> or making I, the bed every day. No, yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Never I, happens. I, yeah, I rebelled. That's my that's part of my rebellion. Part of my my small win is that they didn't get me. I don't iron anymore. I don't make the bed. So yeah. sweetie, uh, that's, how it, that's how it goes. Small victories. But but yes, I really think that if this country had something that would just kind of engrave that patriotism mm-hmm. or, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, that love of country to want to yeah. defend it, to want to be there for it, to want to even die for it, yeah. um, it adds uh, a flavor to to everyday life and to the people. Because yeah. um, you're fighting for a greater cause. Yeah. And I think it also just puts into perspective every day that freedom is not free and that some people do not get to, you know, people enlist and do not come home. Mm -hmm. And to be able to come home, to be able to be here today is a huge, um, just can't take it for granted. Yeah. No, no um, doubt about that. And just the the appreciation for life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I think by volunteering and, and being a medic and getting to see that is I have a bigger appreciation every single day for the days I wake up with a pulse. I hear you. <laughs> you know? No, I, I get it. Yeah. It's all gravy. Somebody said once, but, uh, no, you're absolutely right about, about that. And it's, uh, when you see in this country, just people who have not, didn't have to do that. So they're not invested. Um, so kind of when you, in anything in life, if you put that investment forward, uh, into it, then you care more about it because you're invested. Um, but, uh, but a lot of, we, we don't have that that here. So you get a lot of people that just want to tear down. They just want to look for the bad and tear down. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate. We're destroying ourselves from, from within. Absolutely. I mean, look, even last night we went to dinner and they were freaking out. Oh my gosh, how yeah. can you be going to sit, you yeah. know, a gun company? Right, we right. hate guns, right. but guns have saved the lives of so many people. Yeah. It's, it's what it's it's what protects everything, all the other rights. So, uh, and that's the other, they're, they're, evil exists in this world. And people are so afraid to just recognize that. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, we don't wake up every morning and say, hey, I can't wait to shoot a gun or I can't wait to shoot a person. You know, that's not at all. And they're, they're so, they just don't understand it. They don't understand that. Between me and you, we never want to touch that gun. Like yeah. we don't, we don't have any desire to shoot anybody. Yeah. But at least we know we have the capability yeah. that be, if. Be prepared. God forbid, we're able to prepare. To be prepared, and I know firsthand how long it takes for an ambulance and, and definitely a police officer to show up. Yeah, and they're not going to be there in the time that it takes to save your life. They'll be oh, there yeah. to do some paperwork. Yep, unless you're a, a politician who has them assigned as your security detail, right? Uh, paid for by the taxpayer, but that's another. That's, that's, another that's story. a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think we are at time because we have to go do something cool. We got to go shoot some bell-fed machine guns Let's here at SIG. Some new ones that they've developed, which are absolutely insane they're amazing so we're gonna go uh go knock that out and uh and so one more time where can people find out more about uh, israelrescue.org israelrescue.org yeah so hit that and find out more about what you're doing and uh how we can bring that 
to uh, to the United States. That'd be amazing. Very Let's cool. Let's reduce that response time. Amazing. To 90 seconds. So cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Sincerely appreciate it. Let's go shoot some machine guns. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. If you liked the conversation, be sure and leave that five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the organization uh, United Hatzalah of Israel at israelrescue.org. So check them out there and you can go to their socials from there as well. Fascinating organization. So check them out for sure. You can find me at officialjackcar.com and you can go to jackcarusa.com for the merch. You can also pre-order my next novel, In the Blood, coming this spring. Thank you so much for tuning in. Sincerely appreciated. Until the next time, take care out there. Be safe. Stay strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.